Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Everything Compliance, the only roundtable podcast in compliance. First, have you ever considered starting your own podcast? As I've expanded the Compliance Podcast Network, I'm certainly looking for new podcasts. So this leads to a word from our sponsor today, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Today, we're going to take a look at the post-election situation around compliance and ethics. Jonathan Armstrong is going to take a look at what it may mean for prosecution of data privacy, data protection in Europe in view of the Trump administration's antipathy towards our allies in Europe. Matt Kelly looks at new challenges for compliance officers based upon the actions of the Trump administration, what it may mean in the corporate world. Jay Rosen considers the speech by John Cronin in late November and why businesses are part of the fight against bribery and corruption. And Michael Volkoff takes a look at the changes under the Department of Justice, or rather in the Department of Justice, under the new Attorney General. This is the second part of a two-part episode. This week we have Jay Rosen and Michael Volkoff's rants will follow this episode. This is Tom Fox. Everything Compliance is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode of Everything Compliance, the only roundtable podcast in compliance. The Everything Compliance gang consists of Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Cordery in London, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors with Affiliated Monitors, and Mike Volkoff, founder of the Volkoff Law Group. This is going to be our post-election roundup. We have regularly checked in on compliance and ethics uh, in the context of the current administration. And having had the midterm elections where it turned out the blue wave did hit, 40 seats changed in the House of Representatives uh, for the Democrats, uh, what may portend for compliance and ethics going forward. So Jay Rosen... What do you see going forward, perhaps more from the either in-house or corporate perspective in the world that uh, you deal with uh, for affiliated monitors? Well, uh, I hope I have something uh, more uh, cheerful to share with you than our last piece of discussion. I think um, the first thing I would say to my uh, friend who speaks uh, French in uh, England is uh, – Plus a change, plus c'est la même chose, which means the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, just to kind of frame it, we are at the uh, end of November, and this week in Washington, all of our uh, FCPA colleagues have been sitting around conference tables and pontificating about what's happening. And... Um, you know, from the DOJ, we've heard from John Cronin. Uh, Charles Kane spoke from the SEC yesterday. Rod Rosenstein spoke. And uh, what we see happening from the government side is there is uh, 
speech making, there are tweaks to policies. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think we've really made much progress this year from a change in uh, in FCPA regulations. Um, There may have been a little bit of a lessening of how how much enforcement is going to happen on the companies uh, that, you know, we've seen this year with the majority of um, cases that have been settled have been through declinations. So there's been a, a drastic dip in the number of monitors that have required. At the same time, the DOJ and the SEC are saying that one of the things that they require and they need companies is to have strong ethics and compliance programs that they can't they're not going to be foolproof. They're not going to catch everybody, but they're going to help companies be good corporate citizens. So from our perspective in working with our clients, it's almost if you looked at a timeline and if a company A uh, thinks they have a problem in a certain jurisdiction, they might begin an investigation. Once they do the calculus, then they would go to the DOJ Now, how we change that timeline is if everybody's guaranteed a declination, it becomes more and more of an imperative for a company to have an effective ethics and compliance program. And furthermore, when they're at that point in the uh, timeline where they think they might have a problem – Besides beginning an internal investigation, it would probably be good for them also to begin an independent ethics and compliance assessment. And the, uh, the a twofold reason, number one, is just to get a picture at that moment in time to see how their ethics and compliance program is working. And number two, should that internal investigation turn into something that uh, is more critical and that you need to potentially go to the government, at that point, you can really make a case that you immediately looked into the problem, you did an assessment, you even began to self-remediate, and those things put the company in a better stead with the DOJ and other global regulators. So with that somewhat cheeky, the more things change, the more they stay the same, I think what we've heard the last week from the government speaking at the conference is that uh, they are trying to still incentivize companies to do the right thing, to to self-report, They're uh, making it less of a burden on the company to find every single person. And in yesterday's uh, remarks from uh, Rod Rosenstein, uh, they talked about that they might not have to be as vigorous and aggressive in finding every last person who's involved in the in the issue that you're self-reporting on, but at least to find uh, the major people who are involved and to at least find out if there are any uh, large people at the top. So at the end of the day, I think the message that I'm hearing from the government, and I'd be interested to hear what my colleagues think, is that the DOJ is saying that both their DOJ policy is now as transparent as they can make it. Uh, Companies know that they have a declination waiting on the end. And if we all have 
effective ethics and compliance programs, if there's continuous improvement, if we're always working to get the message out, it's not going to be foolproof, but it's going to put companies in better shape. And those are my kind of takeaways from the uh, the rah-rah and all the panels this week in D.C. So, Jay, does that mean uh, you think uh, or, or your sense would be that compliance programs and the effectiveness and the auditability of those programs is actually taken uh, a notch up from these remarks? Yeah, well, I, I think we've kind of seen that anecdotally throughout the year. I mean, there have been uh, a steady flow of large Fortune 500 and even you know Global 50 companies who have reached out to us for RFIs and RFPs on looking at the effectiveness of their ethics and compliance programs, and that's whether they're either domestic companies or global companies that uh, Matt was talking about. So people are doing this, and when you get this RFI or RFP, they say, we would like you to take a look at the effectiveness of our ethics and compliance program, you know, using the U.S. sentencing guidelines. So everybody is really uh, keyed in on that this is not a check-the-box exercise by any means. If they're reaching out to run one of these continuous improvement assessments, they definitely believe in what's happening, and they're all working from the same playbook. So I think that's the change that we've seen throughout the current year, is that people are getting to be more proactive about this. And part of it now is that if you want to save yourself at the end of the day, there is, um, I think, an old – it's either a Midas or an Amco commercial. And it used to say, you can either pay me now or you can pay me later. And I think many more companies now are realizing that money – uh, you know, confirming the effectiveness of their ethics and compliance program is money that is well spent and will pay dividends at the end of the day. Mike Volkoff, from the legal perspective of compliance uh, in the area you work with the Volkoff Law Group, we had the 2017 new FCPA corporate enforcement policy. And you and I had the chance to visit about that separately where uh, we both felt it was a culmination of uh, events starting with the 2012 guidance up to that. But that pro- policy was released in, as I said, November of 2017. And since that time, a full year later, we've had even more developments from the Department of Justice. We had the anti-piling on initiative or policy. Uh, and then we had the M&A policy, uh, the safe harbor that you've talked about for many years was actually uh, formalized into the new corporate enforcement policy. So what I wanted to ask you is, uh, with these initiatives that the Department of Justice has come up with, where do you see corporate enforcement or enforcement, I should say, of the FCPA going really post-election? Um, well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, I, lo- I enjoyed our conversation last uh, uh, at the uh, Convergence um, meeting and uh, found that really interesting. But I do see corporate enforcement going in some interesting directions in terms of, you know, it's not going to stand still forever. Uh, I, the way I see it is the anti-piling on uh, policy was important because I think it also sent a message to the international community, which is that 
you know, we're going to be sharing more, the more that they sort of join in and other governments join in, we're going to be sharing uh, more in terms of the proceeds. So I think that is uh, an important thing. I also think the merger and acquisition uh, announcement of the extension of the corporate enforcement policy by Matt Miner was very important because it just showed that um, they're going to take this policy and they're going to expand it uh, and make it clear to everybody as much as they can uh, on the importance of encouraging companies to come in and cooperate. I mean, look, that's their goal here. Uh, we also had just recently the announcement or the speech by Rod Rosenstein in which he talked about, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, you know, sort of changes, not really changes, but uh, sort of refinements of the Yates policy that it's not an all or nothing deal uh, that they were running into issues where people were coming in with, you know, stacks of Yates presentations where they were down to uh, the lowest of the low employee and they had to analyze why they shouldn't be prosecuted or should be prosecuted, whatever. But that it was turning into a waste of time. So I think ultimately the, the framework here and their goal is we want as many companies to come in and cooperate. Um, and we're telling you what's important to us. We're giving you guidance as to how much of a discount you'll get or even a presumed declination. And I think all of those things are, uh, you know, very positive for companies. The ultimate goal here is to bring in as much information as possible to the government and, you know, work on this sort of uh, together and find the bad people and prosecute the individuals. I think what's interesting is at the same time we're having all this effort in terms of ways to encourage companies to come in and talk and cooperate, we're also seeing what I think is a ramp up, and, a, and this is going to continue, uh, in individual enforcement. When they, and they're difficult issues when you prosecute international crime in the United States, but I think they're really uh, doing a lot of important work in that area, and they want to keep doing that. And I think that that's that's where I see things going. And I, I still think the corporate enforcement policy is really a very positive thing. It's really well done, well crafted and based upon years of experience. It's like all the institutional knowledge came out into that uh, document. And I think it's really important. Mike, you've worked uh, in the Department of Justice. You worked actually in the antitrust division. Uh, from your experience in the antitrust division with their initiatives back in the 90s to foster cooperation uh, with uh, companies, do you see this as really uh, a positive step going forward? Yes, absolutely. The difference with the and the, the reason there what there we used to have this debate um, years ago. Uh, in sort of, you know, in blog postings, the leniency program in the antitrust division to me is really uh, a model of success in terms of breaking down cartels that you would, the government would never learn about. But because you have multiple uh, actors, uh, the way you do it is you hold out a carrot of leniency, which means the company and every individual that cooperates gets 
um, gets immunity, basically, gets a free walk. The difficulty uh, is can't be used in the FCPA world because the only people you're left with then, if you just gave immunity to everybody and the actors, you don't have anybody to prosecute. It usually is misconduct within one company. But the interesting idea is maybe what we're going to see down the road is, um, you know, a pretty liberal standard of when you get the presumption of a declination that the real contingency of you're getting the declination is going to be uh, serving up individuals who are, you know, aggressively prosecuted and you hand good cases to the government. Um, And that may be the way that this will eventually evolve. It's going to be interesting to see. On the other hand, they do have some ways, sort of exit ramps for that process, which is one, you know, recidivists, two, uh, if it's a company that has senior executive involvement, um, supposedly, although they've been sort of you know, rationalizing that in several several cases already up to now. But I, the real test will be with recidivists because it, that, to me, that's a hard case to let people give a declination to a recidivist. Um, although, if it's completely separate operation, who knows? But I do think that um, that's where we're heading. For every company that cooperates or pleads guilty or gets leniency. The antitrust division, as a numerical sort of measure, indicts uh, three individuals. Um, And so three to one ratio. And I think we will eventually get to that in the the, uh, FCPA space. They're not at a three to one. They're still between one to one and whatever and two to one. But as the program matures, I think you're going to get to three to one. Uh, where three individuals on average per case, uh, per cooperating uh, company. Um, and that's that will be, I think that will send a really good message. I think it's had a big impact in antitrust enforcement. And perhaps the other thing to look at too, Tom, is the uh, global cooperation. Um, in antitrust, it's very robust. So I've worked with companies where you have to go and apply to, you know, 15 different countries for leniency at the same time you're doing it with the United States. But there's a very good working relationship among all the prosecutors. Uh, and uh, so I think we're going to I think we're seeing the beginning of that in the global context of cor- of uh, anti-corruption enforcement as well. I mean, we've talked about that before, too. So, gentlemen, uh, we are now going to move on to rants. So why don't we uh, go back across the pond and Mr. Armstrong, start with you, then go to Mr. Kelly and come back across to the U.S. Well, thanks, Tom. In my effort to be more chilled rather than ranting, I've got instead a top tip and then a shout out if I can. So my top tip, we talked earlier about GDPR dawn raids in an earlier uh, podcast and and you can recognize the ICO because they've got these blue jackets um, with ICO enforcement on the back. But how you might ask, Tom, can you recognize the sergeant at arms if the parliamentary sergeant at arms knocks on your hotel door? Um, well, here's the simple answer. In his traditional dress, he wears a lace collar, cuffs, 
and carries a sword. So that's my cut out and keep uh, tip. If you're in a London hotel room and a chap with collar and cuffs and a sword knocks on your door, exercise caution. And my shout out is to Hannah Pepper. Now, Hannah Pepper, uh, unfortunately, has been convicted of data protection offences this week. She was a trainee secretary at a GP surgery, and she sat in the GP surgery and accessed people's medical records, uh, and those records were of colleagues and members of the public and friends and acquaintances, and she would just sit there or seemingly most of the day long, she accessed 231 patient records, just reading other people's medical notes. So she doesn't get a shout out for that. She gets uh, a criminal conviction and a fine for that. But she gets a shout out for quite an innovative defense. She was asked why she did it. And she apparently told the court, you just don't know how monotonous my job is. So not not legally a defence, but uh, but good for her for giving it a go. <laughs> Mr. Kelly. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you, Jonathan, because I originally was wondering when you spoke earlier, how does one recognize a sergeant at arms? <laughs> and did he go through the streets of London in full regalia to go and knock on that guy's door? But now, should it ever happen to me, I will be prepared. <laughs> uh, so I have a rant this month uh, about an anonymous person whom I shall not identify for reasons that will immediately become clear. Um, the other day, I was on the Acela train from Boston to New York, and there I was sitting when a gentleman sat down next to me and opened his laptop. And there, in large 24-point type, I could very easily see a motion to dismiss he was preparing to file for his client, because apparently he was an attorney, in a False Claims Act dispute. And I can now tell you the company. I can tell you what the whistleblower was alleging. Uh, it did involve some uh, suspicious payments in the healthcare field. I will say no more. I can tell you the years that this was happening. I can tell you that they were talking with the feds. And uh, at one point, the feds had a corporate integrity agreement ready to go. But then six months ago, they did a 180 on that. And that was good news because they were telling us we, we were going to have to eat it. And he, the man next to me was discussing this on the cell phone with some other party. I don't know. Um, to make it even better, uh, you know, I saw that. I realized, OK, I shouldn't be reading over his shoulder and I'm going to try to look away. Then he pulled out his phone at the very beginning and was talking with this some other person to say, I guess, about the whistleblower. Direct quote now. We don't want this guy pulling a Manafort on us mm -hmm. in reference to uh, Paul Manafort, who was lying to the feds after some sort of cooperation agreement. Well, look, man, when you say that, I do put my antenna straight up. Um, and this guy went on and on throughout uh, at least an hour or two uh, talking about several of his different clients. At one point, he left his laptop open with his email program and wandered off, I think, to the cafe car to get a, a donut or something still on his cell phone. I absolutely could have read all of his emails. Um, I do know now his name, his firm. Uh, he is at a big law firm. He is a partner at this firm. He is old enough to have known better. 
Um, and so I did actually ask one or two compliance officers I know, and we, I, I live texted them about this. I'm like, this is going on right next to me. What should, you know, how inappropriate is this? They were aghast. One of the compliance officers I know said, you should report him to the bar. Another one wanted his name because said, I don't want to work with somebody that's sloppy about their security. I did not disclose this person's name. Um, but nonetheless, folks, think about your surroundings. And while he was doing that, I was right next to him. I had my laptop open. It said radical compliance right up at the top. You could easily read my post about Justice Department FCPA policy. Any lawyer in his line of work would have been able to figure out this is somebody who swims in the same sort of waters. Maybe I should be careful. And he just went on and on. Um, I don't think I learned anything terribly sensitive. Uh, I learned some juicy stuff about a particular company, but you know, nothing that was really newsworthy to me. But um, I can imagine some clients out there would be annoyed at the rather lackadaisical attitude that uh, this lawyer had. So I just want to rant to people generally on the train or anywhere else, like, look around, read the room, figure out what's there's going a, on. There's a barrister in the UK has been fined for something very similar indeed. So, it's, uh, you know, it's I not- could very easily, I could have been somebody from, I don't know, a different firm. I could have yeah. been a biotech reporter and I, you know, shotgun that on the internet. Um, yeah, I, I really, I was shocked. Or play the stock or even play the stock. Yeah. Mm, terrible. So, Jay Rosen. Nothing near as dramatic as that, Matt, but I'm wondering if people in the Kelly household will be finding something a little bit extra in their stocking this holiday Christmas. Um, What I wanted to uh, share with you are a couple of my addictions. Uh, Recently, the uh, Beatles White Album, just entitled The Beatles, was released on its 50th anniversary, and there's an amazing uh, seven-CD set. I've been listening to it on Spotify, and although I was only three years old when the album came out, I'm just uh, totally blown away by the clarity of the sound and listening to the songs and actually hearing demos and reimaginations. So that's one thing I'd recommend you check out. And the other thing that I've uh, become addicted to on a weekly basis is stay tuned with uh, Preet Bharara, who was the former U.S. attorney in New York City and uh, was sacked by Trump. This week, there was a great episode called All the President's Lawyers with Bob Bauer, Uh, who formerly worked in the Obama administration, and just uh, a fascinating view as uh, what is happening in Trump land. So those are two of my recommendations. Uh, I know if you check them out, uh, you at least get some good information and you might be hooked as well. Mike Volkoff, do you have a rant or a shout out for us? Uh, I have two, actually. Uh, Well, it's all on the same topic. One is uh, I've been listening to the Rachel Maddow podcast uh, podcast Bagman. I would encourage people to listen to it. It is about uh, Spiro Agnew and the prosecution of Spiro Agnew during the Watergate uh, fiasco. And going back to the Watergate fiasco, I w- there's a great uh, History Channel series. You can watch it on demand if you have that. Uh, six-part series on Watergate, about five, five and a half hours of great um, interviews reenactments and just 
to relive the days of Watergate. Why do I say it's all important? Because I think I know we're going through a tough time right now, uh, but it puts it in my view in perspective to watch uh, what really occurred during the Nixon administration. And it's really pretty chilling when you watch it and see what happens. Um, be curious to see what people's thoughts are when you compare that to what's going on right now. Um, so I'd encourage people to, li- to listen to Bagman. So I'm going to jump in with a, a uh, shout out this week, because if you had young children at any point during this century, you will certainly remember this. And I play that in honor of Steven Hillenberg, who was the creator of, yes, SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, Hillenberger died this week. He, um, uh, SpongeBob was a good-natured yellow kitchen sponge who worked as a fry cook and had a pet snail and lived in a pineapple. And it, like I said, if you had kids, uh, young children in uh, this decade, you've got to experience lots of SpongeBob. For those of us a little bit older, uh, he is one of the great meme creators of all time. So, Stephen Hillenberger, Stephen Hillenberg, uh, thank you for SpongeBob SquarePants. So, gentlemen, thank you, and uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special two-part episode of Everything Compliance, where we took a look at the impact of the midterm 2018 midterm elections on what it may mean for compliance going forward into 2019. On behalf of the Everything Compliance Gang, Mike Volkoff, Jay Rosen, Matt Kelly, and Jonathan Armstrong, I'd like to wish you a very happy new year, and we look forward to continuing our conversations with you in 2019. Everything Compliance is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.